0: Hello, hello. I think yes, we're on. they are. Okay, there we go. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the Future of VR panel. Uh, so, firstly, I would like to introduce you to the guests that will be speaking to you today. Uh, so, first up, we have Rob Cole from uh, Proof Research and Development Limited.
1: Hello. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Uh,
0: we have uh, Sandra Moore from She is Community Manager and PR on Skyfront VR, which you can play out on the show floor. Okay. Uh, we have Keanu Hollingsworth, who is uh, a VR specialist at the VR Concept, a chain of UK VR arcades. Hey guys. And we have Christopher Gray, also known as UK Rifter on YouTube.
2: Hi, nice to see you.
0: <laughs> so, as I'm sure many of you are aware, virtual reality is a burgeoning new form of both video games, enterprise, software in general, that I believe serves not to replace standard gaming as we know it, but rather complement it. While there are a lot of experiences in VR at the moment, you'll find a lot of them out there on the show floor at the moment, really recommend you try some of them out. We're here to discuss how VR can evolve and move on past what it currently is, improve, maybe discuss some of the faults it has at the moment, or some of its current high points that we would like to keep around. So rather than waste any time, just gonna jump right into it. I'd like to uh, talk with you guys firstly about what we think the biggest hurdles in VR at the moment are in terms of keeping it from mass appeal in people's homes. What do we think is holding it back?
2: I can go in with a really obvious one, I think. Um, If you look at the people that are in VR today, that are using VR today, they tend to have quite a lot of expended income. You know, they've got money to burn. Because at the end of the day, if you want a decent rig at home, if we exclude for a moment PlayStation VR, which is a very affordable um, entry point into virtual reality, and if we exclude things like Gear VR, to get a PC-based Oculus Rift or HTC system, it's incredibly expensive, right? You're looking at at least a thousand pounds for the rig, and then you're adding peripherals on top of that. It's, it's a bit of a barrier for most people, let's be honest. I mean, I, I yeah. think, you know, that's been, been holding it back. There's obvious other barriers, but I won't I won't jump in there yet.
3: Well, from specifically from the perspective of a of a developer from for VR, uh, that's a huge <coughs> hurdle that needs to be overcome because uh, when you know normally your target group uh, is from relatively young to however old, uh, the price of VR just narrows it down so much that uh, you're looking at like. Usually a late 20s, uh, early 30s, usually a male <laughs> Not from a relatively privileged background. So yeah, for a developer, that's a huge hurdle to, that needs to be overcome, definitely.
1: Yeah, I'd actually say it's, the way I'd look at it, it's actually the cost of personal compute power. So if you actually look at the devices that most people own, the most powerful computer device they probably has is actually their smartphone, unless they're a PC gamer. So yeah that's that's a fundamental problem at the moment and compute power will come down substantially over the years but at the moment if you look at say like the new RTX graphics cards you're looking a lot of money it's a su- substantial investment
0: Yeah um I agree I think interestingly an odd hurdle as well is the way VR is currently advertised and the way it's currently In the mindset of people, so if you think of like Ready Player One, the movie which came out earlier this year, you have varying different opinions on what VR is before you've tried it. Whether you think it's a lot more, you know, if you imagine Ready Player One, this huge open world that you can run into and meet people, or I get a lot of comments, you know, asking me how it's different from 3D TV and things like that. I think one of the biggest things is trying to advertise it. You know, it's it's really one of those products that is a try-before-you-buy type product. Uh, it's hard to advertise in, in video. I think that's something to overcome.
4: Um, yeah, I could agree with that. Um, one thing I do notice working in, in arcades and stuff is that it doesn't really look cool to play VR nowadays. <laughs> yeah. That's um, true. I yeah. think solving that issue, maybe combining it some way with AR would be like, okay. uh, would make waves in adoption of VR. Yeah.
0: I think that's very interesting actually. So you mean in terms of maybe from a spectator point of view? Like when yeah. someone's watching someone do VR, maybe there's some kind of AR overlay? Yeah, definitely. definitely yeah. OK, interesting, interesting. Uh, what I'd like to des- uh, discuss as well is there are various different aspects of VR, uh, various different segmented markets. You've got mobile VR, like your Samsung Gear, your Google Daydream, where you slot a phone into a plastic headset. You've got standalone VR like Oculus Go, like the HTC Vive Focus, which is a (laughs) headset all built into itself, doesn't need any kind of external power. Um, And then you've got console VR like PlayStation VR, PC VR with uh, Oculus Rift, HTC Vive. With all these different segmented markets, you might get a lot of consumers, or I'd say you do get a lot of consumers, that don't fully understand the differences between these products, so we'll try let's say, a Google Cardboard headset, not knowing that there's so much more to VR than what is to offer there. So what I'd like to ask is, where do you think the future of VR lies firmest in those products? Do you think it lies more in mobile VR, PC VR, or maybe some kind of combination of the two?
4: Um, I think it would probably be something like a combination of mobile VR, like uh, what you're gonna see with the Santa Cruz product from Oculus, um, a standalone headset that runs high uh, level games. um, Yeah, that's uh, able to render like um, meshes like as you walk through them without having to have lighthouses or like things.
2: I I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, I
3: actually don't agree. don't really uh, no, from uh, from again from a developer's perspective, like uh, what we see retention-wise, um, so far, like the like the cardboard ones, for instance, um, usually people will buy them. They'll try out a couple of games, but they're not gonna. Once the novelty value wears off, those are not the people who are gonna stay playing your games. Like when we look at the statistics, uh, just the ones that like, we've collected and talked with uh, different developers, uh, the games that uh, or the experiences that are exclusively mobile based, they, there's like a peak once it's released. And it's a very sudden dip. And usually, there's, there's, n- there's no comeback from there.
2: Do you think that that's related to the fact that people are so much more heavily invested in a, a rig at home, whereas something that's effectively mobile VR is entirely passive. In the most part, things like Gear VR, that was a freebie they got with their phone. And they're like, nah, I'll try this. And, and then that's why it tails off, because really, their enthusiasm and interest to get into that space probably wasn't ever there in the first place, mm-hmm. in this case they, they had it. I think with Santa Cruz, um, as this well, gentleman yeah, Santa said, Cruz
3: is a, yeah, mm-hmm. it,
2: it kind of <laughs> blurs the line a little yep. bit, that's because true. it becomes much more, um, it, it means effectively you're getting everything mm. that's great about VR experience today with the six degrees of freedom and the increased graphic fidelity without the need for the thousand pound overlay, uh, you know, out, outlay. Sorry. Mm. Um, I do feel that that's going to be a bit of a game changer, but again, it really Could, depends. Yeah. It really we'll depends. see. Yeah. But again, that's mobile VR, mm-hmm. so we'll see. I mean, yeah. it might, you might still get that drop off, that lack of retention.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'd actually say that the current platforms are actually a temporary bridge. To the future and from the research we've looked at we think the future will actually be a standalone heavy glasses device but we're talking probably several generations probably 10 years away from actually getting to that kind of form factor so everything you see at the moment are actually down to technological or cost restrictions but that is the direction it will probably go in i mean pcvr will always be leading technically um, and i think what will actually happen is when you s- see the home actually redesigned with smart infrastructure 5G streaming you start seeing ai hubs appearing in the home as part of your infrastructure like your electricity and your gas that's when you'll have the glass factor where the content's actually streamed locally to your headset with very low latency but i say that's quite far in the future so i think everything we have at the moment is actually just a kind of bridge
2: you're right and um. It's funny you should say that, about it being a bridge. And I completely agree with the augmented reality being the future and, and it being what we're going to be heading towards. But I honestly believe we are shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit right now with HoloLens, with the disaster that is Magic Leap, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so many promises. And we all had this fantastic idea of what that might look like. And then when it gets released, you're like, hang on. I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even pay to try this yeah. you know, as, a, as a quick experience. And that's very disappointing. And I agree with your, your, your perspective, it's, it's 10 to 15 years out, but we want it now. Yeah. And so no. when AR isn't what we imagine it will be now, we're just like, ah, you know, walk yeah. away. Won't invest yeah. in that technology. I
1: mean, AR at the moment is really smartphone-based and it is a gimmick. I mean, this is a Google Pixel that runs AR, but it is just a toy and it's not something that's actually very useful at the moment. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just a technical problem. I mean, I first used VR in 1991. Wow. So it's been a long road. <laughs> and the technology back then was incredibly limited. It was a company called Virtuality, which was a British company. Um, I mean, it was in the arcades. We had it at the Trocadero in London. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I remember it, Trocadero. <laughs> I mean, you know, we had the first phase of VR, and it, it had presence. You know, it actually had good immersion, even though it was running at a very low frame rate, very graphically limited. So, you know, it's been a few decades.
2: <laughs> it's uh pterodactyl terror. Yeah. That was the one the dactyl t- yeah Dactyl, dactyl nightmare. nightmare dactyl nightmare sorry yeah, yeah there nightmare.
3: were about five or six
1: yeah. different experiences they did
3: yeah. <coughs> uh, I, I think well. this uh this topic actually is kind of related also to the previous the thing we started with yes. so the hurdles uh i kind of feel like at the moment vr as it is it doesn't really solve a problem we're sort of forcing it into an environment that's not necessarily ready to accept it. And the way you said it, like if uh, it's part of our homes yeah. and uh, there it would be so much more natural because it, you, you're already used to it. It solves some sort of problems in your everyday lives and then the gaming, the everything else, that just comes as a natural step forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would like to add, actually, and this is something that Gabe Newell from Valve actually said is it's all about content. Content is king you need to have compelling content. If you look at, say, for tonight, I think the uh, finale of the Bodyguard show is on, and millions of people will tune in because it's compelling and they want to know what happens. In VR, you could argue at the moment there's not that much compelling content to actually get people to wear a headset, at least for several hours a day, apart from the kind of hardcore gaming niche. And I think that's when the mass market will come good, is when there is really compelling content where people have to buy headsets because they just have to do this sort of thing. So that is a bit of an issue at the moment.
2: And I, I think, you know, like any industry, it's the early adopters, it's people in the room like this who are the pioneers of virtual reality and really propping up the entire industry for the future. Because if you don't invest in it, if you don't think, you know what, I'll buy a headset, I'll buy the rig, I'll buy the software, if you're not investing in those companies, they'll never get off the ground. It will never, ever happen. And so, yeah, it's a bit niche, and yeah, it's a bit geeky, <laughs> but, you know, we've got to do our bit, right, to kind of be the foundation of it.
1: And if you look at it at the moment, it, I would argue it's really people like Oculus backed by Facebook that are actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting mm. in terms of content generation and hardware R&D. Um, you can look at people like Valve. Valve are doing stuff in the background, but you don't really see that much publicly at the moment. Um, Google <laughs> seemed to be kind of actually getting back into VR. We were doing some consultancy work with them about two years ago in London. Um, they actually then disbanded their VR team and mm. sort of pretty much pulled out of Daydream, leaving a skeleton crew doing maintenance updates. But they're on a hiring spree in America again now. They've just released the new off kit for the Lenovo. So it looks like they're kind of getting back into it. But you find with these big companies, it's because they know it's not ready for the mass market. So they're not going to actually invest the money in it.
0: Um, Yeah, uh, I completely agree. In fact, uh, what what you mentioned uh, about VR in the home and making sense in the home, you know, What I would like to talk about then is outside of the home, location-based VR, which we're seeing a lot pop up nowadays. You'll see a lot of places, especially across London, that are offering VR experiences to try out. Uh, There was a big one in Westfield, both in Stratford and in Shepherd's Bush with The Void, uh, a big Star Wars experience you could do for a while that turned out to be very popular. So I'm curious, how do you think that location-based VR can continue the success it's seeing so far, Or do you think it's inevitably going to dwindle no matter what happens? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
4: Um, I think if it stays the way it is right now, um, if you look at most VR arcades, it's just like booths set up with headsets in them, usually um, HTC vibes. Uh, They don't really have a spark to them. They're just something that anyone could really make if you had the money to set everything up. I think uh, if it stays like that, it will dwindle because home adoption will go up, and people won't want to spend the money to come out and play um, the same thing they can play at home, so I think um, in increasing technology, whether it be something like Star VR, um, which is only commercially available, something that's way more way priced way higher for the home, but offers way more in terms of experience and technology. I think that's uh, the future of location based yeah
2: you see and. I, I wrote an article recently, and, and I, I compared the uh, VR arcades of today to laundrettes, because it, it, it's, a very similar, it's a very similar comparison. Laundrettes were everywhere. Every single street corner had a laundrette. They stopped. They died overnight because appliances came out. They became affordable, and, and you're absolutely correct. Unless you can enhance that experience and bring something to, to the user that they can't have at home, Be that what the void do with the kind of you know the location sensing VR and all this kind of stuff. If you can if you can maintain that, if you can differentiate and evolve, then great. You know because computer arcades do exist, right? You can still go to a computer arcade. It's just the the distance now between what you can play in a computer arcade and what you can play at home is basically nothing, right? You you go there to meet your friends and you know have a burger or whatever, but. You know, so it has to be differentiated or else they go the way of the laundrette.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you saw that with the game—you know, the games arcades. Once the consoles became powerful, they pretty much became redundant. And I think if you're using consumer VR in an arcade, once mass adoption happens, they will literally become extinct, like your laundrette example. Um, I think The Void has been very successful. I mean, in Westfield, they're putting through 120 people an hour. Um, when they're at Stratford and then at Shepherd's Bush. Um, but then, you know, they're using custom hardware, haptics. You've got smell, you've got heat, you've got physical props. Uh, did anybody here get to try Secrets of the Empire at the Void? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I didn't even. Pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah, one great. bit where you get out of your shuttle, you walk across a gangplank over lava, you can smell a barbecue smell, you can feel heat. Uh, there are physical props you could actually sit on, so you would see a bench rendered in VR, and it was a case you'd actually put your hand down just to see if there was something there and you could actually sit on it. Uh, you're having firefights against stormtroopers, you're leaning against physical walls that were rendered in VR, and the thing was room scale plus, you know, the, the theater that they did it was the size of this room, and they basically, used it, uh, they basically used very clever kind of tricks to actually navigate you around this huge environment. So yeah, that kind of thing's got a lot of legs. I mean, that is a multi-million dollar installation.
2: And then- Actually, I know this is a bit of a tangent, but if you guys have <laughs> got rigs at home, if you haven't tried Unseen Diplomacy, that is basically a really brilliant trick of the mind where they, they make whatever space you have available feel like an arena that goes on and on and on by creating these kind of illusions with perspective. Anyway, it's complete tangent, but just okay. try it. In, <laughs> In Misdirection. Misdirection. <Yeah. laughs>
3: I'd just like to add to that. Uh, so this is, what you were saying is, uh, presuming that mass adoption happens soon. Uh, but uh, if it doesn't, I feel like uh, what arcades should maybe consider is kind of readjusting their business model. Because like, if you think of uh, a standard cinema, the cinema doesn't make money. From the movies the main money comes from selling popcorn (laughs) basically so uh until we kind of have a clear perspective of when mass adoption is going to happen hopefully it'll be soon but until then i think like arcades if they want to stick around they should kind of buckle up and look through their business model and see what other things they can offer to kind of bring in the money. Because I think there is a market there. Obviously, wouldn't be here if we didn't think that the market's there. Uh, so that sense, uh, where Keanu works, uh, VR concept, they're doing a really good job by combining the bar experience with the VR experience. And that's a really great solution.
1: I think also you'll see a lot more marketing-driven VR. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that in London. Uh, last weekend, I went to London Waterloo Station and Sky VR had uh, basically an interactive experience for the Discovery of Witches, which is a new TV show they've just launched, and you basically had an Oculus Rift. it's completely free experience in a big play space. Um, I've seen a lot of that kind of stuff. Samsung did their recent thing at Westfield.
0: Yes, yeah, which actually you can still check out if you're uh, ever in Shepherd's Bush in West London. Uh, yeah, essentially this demo, they've got a Galaxy Note 9 uh, in a Gear VR headset. You're on this uh, seat. They call it a 4D experience, so as you, go through this sort of like race, Uh, the car's moving about, it's synced up with the headset's movements, and so it's physically moving your body in the right direction, so it kind of feels more like you're actually there in this vehicle.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that I'm starting to see a lot more of is kind of immersive theater. There was a really good experience in London in the summer called Somni, which was all about the power of sleep, Uh, and that was a mixture of using live theater actors with VR headsets in a massive warehouse space. It ran for about an hour, um, so that kind of thing, that's got some proper mileage because you can't do that at home, just like the void.
4: Yeah, I, um, I also think like um, content-specific, like uh, things will be generated as well. Like if you take, for example, um, Beat Saber, they've now got like standalone Beat Saber arcade, like mm-hmm. kind of booths with the headset and the controllers and everything. Um, I think specific things like that will be what drives like um, location-based gaming like uh, escape rooms, if one becomes very popular, you wouldn't really do that in the comfort of your own house. You'd go with a big group to a uh, location.
1: Yeah, yeah, multiplayer as well, Multiple. that's a massive yeah. one. Yeah. I've tried some of the systems that use OptiTrack, mm-hmm. where you can literally have warehouse scale you know, with a dozen players in it. That, that kind of stuff's incredible. Obviously, again, you can't do that at home.
2: Amazing. I mean, you see these guys, that they have like existing businesses, and they are screaming out to be converted into some kind of virtual augmented reality experience. And the one that always gets me every time I see it are the kind of uh, laser tag places, right? Almost every town has a laser tag thing and kids go there for parties. That is just absolutely screaming out for a clever developer mm-hmm. to come in and map the environment and, and create an experience. And yeah, it's a big investment for these guys, but immediately you've got something that is out of this world compared to just hiding behind cardboard walls and <laughs> <laughs> shooting at children which is uh, my hobby. I have children. I, I, don't, do, I don't just go there.
0: I, I have children allowed
2: to go, so it's fine.
0: You know, it's interesting. During that one there, pricing came up quite a lot, not just in terms of uh, of experiences, but also we spoke earlier about prices of uh, entry into VR headsets, PCs, etc. cetera. <coughs> so what I'm curious to talk about is the actual pricing of VR software, because there's something really interesting going on in the VR gaming industry at the moment with pricing. And I'm worried it's gonna sort of follow in the steps of mobile gaming. And what I mean by that is mobile gaming had what we kind of call the race to the bottom. For a while it was sort of acceptable that games might be a certain price on mobile. And eventually they started getting lower and lower till everyone started competing to becoming one of the cheapest games on the market until eventually almost everything was free. And they had, and suddenly free to play was born with microtransactions. And a lot of this comes out of uh, a mindset that's almost been trained with us to think that mobile games are worth less than other games. You know, you see, for instance, Square Enix's Final Fantasy series on the mobile app stores, almost 11, 12 pounds a game. And in your mind, you kind of react like that's incredibly expensive. Whereas if you had seen that on the PlayStation store, you might think that's quite cheap. And something similar, it feels like, is kind of happening in VR, where the majority of experiences no matter what scale they're on, try to hide behind a lower price than they could possibly justifiably sell uh, such a thing for. So if you go on the PlayStation Store and look at PlayStation VR games, uh, you'll see an awful lot of them for like £3 or less, and I would argue the majority of them are actually worth more than that. Uh, I'm curious on your thoughts on VR pricing, particularly in, in regards to Skyfront. Where of course, that has to have been a discussion that that came up multiple times upon launch
3: yeah that uh, topic keeps bringing itself up to be honest yeah. uh, so discovered at the moment uh, it's priced uh, what well, the standard price is uh, 19, uh, 20 dollars approximately, so it's like what fifteen pounds I think or, or around there um. And uh, I mean, our, our game is a little bit of a special case because we are a multiplayer. And a lot of the time, if you, you know, say VR multiplayer, you're, you've got your crowd already running out the door because everybody knows that there's not enough home users to necessarily you know, provide the player base. Um, so a lot of the time we do get feedback, people buy the game and they're like, this is not worth the money, uh, because there aren't enough people in. So we've considered a ton of different pricing options. We have even considered pre, uh, free play at times. So, okay. um, and, uh, but the problem there is you need money to develop a game. <laughs> uh, and I honestly yeah. do like, think like looking on uh, Steam, Viveport, wherever, the, the games are ridiculously low priced a lot of the time. And uh, the developers, uh, they can't concentrate solely on VR, which I think a lot of people in VR would love to do. They need to develop, I don't know, even for, again for mobile or for Facebook, because that's where the money is. And that's how our business model is created at the moment. Um, but ideally, I'd like to see a world where you know again, VR games are valued for a, as as much as uh, non VR pancake games are. Um, and um, for instance, what one thing that we did discover uh, or discuss at some point was uh, including ads in our game. Um, but at the same time, again, you've got players; they don't want to see ads in VR on PC. It just clashes. Um, and ours is a is a esportsy kind of tournament uh, style game, so we might be able to hide the ads well enough so that the player could accept them without much rage. But we w- we are an esports game. Not a lot of games necessarily are. So how would they sol- go about solving that? And uh, I think that's a that's a large scale problem that uh, kind of goes down to player mentality. And <laughs> I don't really see a solution at this point. <laughs>
4: um, okay. I was gonna say, in at least from what I've seen, in pancake games you can get up to about 60 hours of gameplay on a really good game. In games like uh, The Witcher, you can get upwards of 100 hours of gameplay. Um, in VR games, it's a lot less. And I think the price reflects that. Um, even with VR games, you make it a super entertaining game. Um, everyone wants to play it. It's still really hard to play long periods of time in that specific game, whether it be due to your physicality or whatever it be. <laughs> um, I think it just leaves a bitter taste in people's mouths. When they have to pay 60 pounds for a game, they'll probably pay 10 hours of. So I think... 10 hours, hours th- is
3: already very good. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's
4: that's a long time in a VR game. So I think um, the price reflects that. And I think developers have noticed that people aren't gonna be playing these games as long as pancake games. So that's why they've brought the prices down.
3: See, that's, uh, that's an interesting thing because uh, having talked to quite a few developers, uh, um, It's strange that a lot of VR developers don't realize how long the average person can stand VR for. Mm. And like, uh, if we look at, uh, for instance, for Skyfront, uh, if we look at the uh, session lengths from arcades, we've got a relatively good session length of an average of 17 minutes. And that's really good. Uh, And if you have uh, developers coming in expecting their player to stay in VR for two hours, that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. And there's a huge clash there.
4: Yeah, It's definitely a huge clash. And it could be anything. It could be a number of factors that take someone out of the game. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's really hard to predict like um, what you could do within your game to make it last longer.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of this also comes back to the current limitations of the hardware that we actually have, and we have a phrase we use in our company, which is that content is king, but comfort is key. And at the moment, ergonomically, the headsets are actually pretty poor. Um, something we did recently is we've done a lot of work on ergonomics in headsets and actually looking at having 3D printing of custom face cushions so you can actually adjust to people's asymmetry because we all look the same but are actually very asymmetrical. You know, your eyes aren't actually at the same depth or the same position on your face, so when you put them into a headset that's designed to center off your nose bridge you get all kinds of comfort and optical issues. So we've actually been doing a lot of work on that, but it's kind of premature. you know. The headsets that are out there mm. at the moment are about as good as they're gonna get, and this is gonna take several generations to actually kind of come good. Um, so yeah, player comfort is a big factor.
2: I think so, and, and it's, it makes me laugh when people talk about player comfort because um, you know, the, the whole Rift versus Vive thing, you know, people love to be in a tribe, right? They love to feel like they're part of a group, <coughs> and, and I've always been quite vocal that I prefer the, the Rift, but it's all about your physiology, it's all about how comfortable it feels, and, and the right, Vive would be right for someone and not right for the other. I mean, the, the point about the, uh, the pricing of games, that's so funny. I mean, I, I talk to my friends about this and I say, oh, there's a new game out, how much is it? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's 16 pounds. 16 pounds? What what are they talking about? 16 pounds? And and you—you'd have to check yourself because, of course, you happily pay 49.99 for whatever, you know, Far Cry 5 or whatever that comes out on the PC. But you won't do it on on VR. And it concerns me hugely. You know, my favourite types of games are open-world shoot people in the face games, right? (laughs) So, so things like uh, you know, Standout, Onward, Bullets, and more Pavlov. Now, unless these guys, and they're, and they're selling for nothing, right, so Bullets and More are like, it's five pounds, or 3.99 on Steam, it's nothing. Right, so how are these guys funding their servers? Right, how, how are they running the VoIP system? How are they keeping this thing afloat? And of course the answer is, they're not, right? They're making a bit of a, they're, they're scooping as much money as they can very quickly, and then it'll die. And that's wor- really worrying, because the most compelling games out there for a lot of gamers like myself are the games that will just drop dead in about three years' time unless yeah. they work out a model, which they haven't.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, regarding the pricing, I would say it's completely expected during this early adoption phase, and it's, we're in a very difficult position at the moment, and it's almost, again, that, that thing of it going mainstream is where we will see that ramp up with AAA titles and the funding put into it. Uh, I mean, solo developers or small teams can probably survive. Um, even on some of the mobile platforms, some of the solo developers have actually made quite good money with standout titles. Um, but actually taking that jump from what we see now to where it needs to go is, it's gonna be tricky.
4: Yeah, I'm, I don't really mind, like no offense to Skyfront and stuff, but I don't, <laughs> I'm not too like mad about uh, the amount of games that are dying right now. I think it's uh, somewhat essential to the market right now. Um, I think uh, as games come and die, uh, a lot of knowledge is gained from them. Like uh, if you look, at, for example, like the rise and fall of VRChat, it gave you a brilliant example of how to make a game, like a community game that's in VR that people can enjoy, that can people can express themselves in. It was really well done, but it died. Like it was a growing meme that was probably the most played game in VR and it still managed to plummet and but that's I think, the thing. It, yeah. it was it was
0: memes that killed that game yeah. it was knuckles. it was strange internet <laughs> communities that yeah. put people outside <laughs> those communities off particularly if you put that headset on you jump into the game and suddenly everywhere you run into the ugandan knuckles tribe yeah. all clicking at you and making weird and that is fundamentally also what I believe that ready player one will never happen in real life the internet makes stuff too weird for a virtual world like that to be possible without freaking you out
2: that's very yeah, true. I think you, you only have to be in VR chat for about two minutes. To be honest, you know it's all a bit weird. So, so yeah.
0: you know, you, when you're online, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, social media, whatever, whatever you're on, occasionally you run into weird people. Now, imagine if you were actually in a situation where you were virtually standing in front of them and having to deal with them. That's essentially what mm-hmm. VR chat created. Um, but it's interesting during that, uh, Rob, you mentioned headset ergonomics. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rob actually wrote a really interesting article on, uh, on the ergonomics of VR headsets, which if you speak to him afterwards, I'm, I'm sure he'll happily link you to it. Or for anyone listening to this afterwards as a podcast, I'll put it in the description. Um, but what I'd like to speak about then is where do we think that's going? How do we think in the future VR headsets are going to look? How are they gonna feel? What needs to change? What maybe needs to stay the same?
4: Is there a time frame in the future? <laughs>
0: that's a good Let, question. Okay, uh, let's say realistically, next 10 years. We're not talking hundreds of years <laughs> off, flying cars, all of that sort of stuff. Realistically, sort of next 5 to 10 years.
2: 5 to 10. No, 5 to 10. I realize that's a very large <laughs> bracket. That's <laughs> double. You might get a Rift V2 in, in 5 to 10 yeah, years. Yeah, I think Rift,
1: Rift 2 will be... <laughs> pretty major milestone actually in the industry. If you look at the R&D that Oculus is doing and the money they've actually put into their lab, the technology they've created, they're pretty far ahead of everybody now. Um, If you consider that most of Valve's team actually jumped ship and went to work for Oculus, and those are the guys that really kind of pioneered the Vive. So I think we'll see some pretty big stuff going on there. I mean, we've seen stuff I can't talk about, but there is some pretty exciting stuff coming, and a lot of it is actually gonna be when we stop repurposing smartphone panels we're to the point now where they're actually having custom panels made for VR. You're starting to see those on some of the new headsets that you're seeing on the kind of consumer sites. Um, so that's actually gonna make a big change. And then it's things like uh, vergence, accommodation conflict, and ergonomics. You know, Once we solve those kind of issues and headsets are comfortable, don't give you eye strain, don't give you headaches, I think that's gonna be a real kind of push forward. Um, and Something you probably will see quite soon in the headsets is actually gonna be automatic optical adjustment um so you put the headset on it will actually calibrate your ipd your depth focus it will adjust for asymmetry so that's going to make a really big difference to comfort and that's not too far out that's coming within a generation or two
4: hmm. <coughs> yeah um, i think we've seen like sort of either concepts or examples of all the things we're going to see in 5 or 10 years like yeah like the ipd adjustment and the eye tracking uh bigger field of views uh better quality panels it's probably it's probably just going to be uh, like uh, generation bumps in, a, in, a, in the 10 years. Um, probably nothing new. Probably in terms of haptics, it'll probably be what evolves more in the next 10 years. Yeah, but in terms of headsets, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, field of view is a very interesting subject. Obviously, we've got Pimax, and that's been a big thing on the yeah. forums recently. There is a a physiological problem there with field of view that generally once you go past about 140, 150 degrees, it actually creates, it tends to create motion sickness in people that aren't even prone to motion sickness. And that's to do with the way your peripheral vision actually operates. Mm. Um, So the kind of approach Pimax have taken is very interesting. I mean, that was obviously a big Kickstarter. That was their unique selling point. Um, But you've probably seen already that they've had to dial the field of view down to get it performant. Um, But that's actually gonna have a big benefit in terms of motion sickness. Um, MRTV very good reviewer he actually noticed that already with the 8k he said you know motion sickness was Found where he didn't previously experience it on the vive or the rift Um, So that's another challenge in itself, and if you look at the half dome prototype that oculus did it was 140 degrees So they've kind of set it on that limit from a technical point of view, but also a physiological sort of worry
2: I think the um, the changes in VR headsets, I mean, I think all, all these points are completely valid. What we've, you know, how, how we'll treat our eyes a little bit better, perhaps. I think the, um, there's going to be some exciting stuff going on with uh, peripheral devices as well. Um, we all want uh, an omnidirectional treadmill, of <laughs> course. But they, they do <laughs> exist, of course. I mean, I, a lot yep. of you guys will know this, that the Ready Player One omnidirectional treadmill was a real thing. It wasn't computer graphics. It was an actual thing that exists. Um, so that will become something you can buy. What else? I mean, what else is out there that we can get excited about with peripherals?
1: Leap motion. Leap motion. I don't know if anybody's tried leap motion hand tracking. It's very, very Amazing. good, actually. Yeah, yeah It's really got its limitations, but I would say with headsets, you'll probably move away from controllers, hand controllers, for non-gaming applications. So hand, hand interaction will actually become the norm for interactive entertainment and non-gaming applications. And then you will actually have peripherals for gaming. I mean, a great example is the aim controller on the PSVR, if you play Farpoint with that, it completely changes the game. So I think you'll actually see more customization like that, people buying peripherals specifically for gaming. And that's something we've looked at, is actually customizing hand controllers. Because again, like the face, the hands are very unique to each individual. Um, A lot of people will say, you know, I don't like the Vive wand, or I like the Rift touch, (laughs) but it's very, very personal. So I think you'll see a lot of that kind of customization. I think treadmills are actually fantastic, but I always feel there'll be a niche just as uh, driving simulator rigs a niche. You know, if you've got to drop 10 grand on a rig, there's very few people that can do that will actually have the space in a flat or a small house to do that.
4: Yeah, um, <coughs> I've always said that uh, I hated those treadmills because you you don't want to run. You really don't <laughs> want to put the physical effort into run, especially in like a fantasy game or something. Um, but yeah, what, what you said about... Um, uh, peripherals and stuff. I think uh, once tracking technology becomes easier to make, or easier to uh, for developers to get their hold, of their hands on, I think that's where they will um, also gain a lot of money. If you go back to that um, to that topic yeah. about the money, uh, they can also earn money yeah. like that, uh, such as like Guitar Hero, who sold the guitars with the game. Of course, you could sell your yeah, track tracked peripherals with their <laughs> games. So, yeah,
1: yeah, and I think a lot of that will come down to bundling. Like the way that Farpoint was bundled with the Aim controller at a very good entry point, I think you'll see that with Valve's Knuckles. Um, there is a lot of talk in the industry that they're going to be bundled with a headset, mm. um, as well as sold alone, probably with software experiences. Hopefully from Valve. I won't say the number three because that <laughs> upsets a lot of people. They don't
0: make third games. No. <laughs> um, interesting. So, in fact, on on that topic of um, games, you know, getting. Uh, getting bigger, and particularly not wanting to use treadmill to traverse an open world. I agree.
3: But hey, instead of treadmills, we'll now we're getting cyber shoes. Maybe have you tried the cyber <laughs> shoes? The, those yeah. things, the, that those things. That's an option. That yeah.
0: Well. yeah, yeah, that's possible. Um, I think an an interesting use case, particularly <laughs> in the home. Um, but I'm curious. Then outside of hardware, how do we think software in VR will evolve over time? What What do we think? Is currently holding games back in VR. What do we think they might look like five years down the line?
4: Um, I think if Steam becomes, you know, if they evolve into an even bigger giant in the gaming uh, industry, I think like something like Steam OS will be essential to like gaming in VR. Having an operating sure. system that works solely just for the VR interaction, and um, yeah, I think that that's what's holding it back right now. Uh, like having Windows. And all the stuff that they try and do, and like, uh, there's a bunch of other processes, and like, nothing's optimized really properly. So yeah, I think a sure. good VR-based operating system is what's holding it back.
3: Well, I think uh, either VR needs to be less demanding, or uh, computer tech needs to evolve faster and become cheaper. Because uh, I fr- from again, from our gaming d- game development experience. Uh, uh our game looks technically like a 10 year old pancake game just because you can't uh, you know if you put in all the polycount all the objects that you'd want to make the game actually visually as appealing as uh, as 2d games are uh, there's no computer <coughs> that can run that and uh, we run into a that problem just when we were releasing our most recent uh, level that we had to tone it down significantly just because uh, even like the most powerful msi computers just wouldn't run it that's it
0: for context when we refer to pancake games uh, we're just talking about non vr games just standard tv games just figured i should <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give some context when we refer to pancake games
2: It's it's a disparaging
0: term. (laughs) I would actually
1: say, uh, I would actually even say for VR to succeed, it needs to move away from games, actually, because gaming um, is often where the early adoption happens because we've got a lot of people that spend a lot of money on hardware and software. Um, But I would actually say it's really going to become immersive, interactive entertainment, social experiences, uh, well being, mental health applications. There's a massive market for it out there, which is much bigger than the gaming market. Mm. And I think actually, once the devices become frictionless to use, where it's uh, if, say, for example, the heavy sunglasses format—you put it on and it works. Just as you sit down in front of your HD TV, you turn it on and it works, and you can enjoy your compelling content. I think it's actually when we move away from shooting things, which is very enjoyable, and we actually have a lot more to do, it will actually give us a proper use case, and that's where it will become what it really can be.
3: What I've seen uh, from that perspective—I I absolutely 100% agree with that, but. Uh, VR being as in its infancy as it is, I've noticed that people who, you know, they they know the solutions in VR, um, they can't necessarily come in contact with the problems. So uh, I've talked to, for instance, people who uh, specialize in neurosciences, like uh, people uh, looking to uh, find a cure for Alzheimer's, and they have these problems that potentially could be solved by VR, and now these people are finally slowly kind of coming together, but I kind of think we need to educate the next generation where, even already in the university education, these uh, two sciences are combined so that, again, large-scale implementation can happen. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean you, yeah. Sorry, off you Sorry, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do agree. I think the, I, I suppose there's two different ways to look at it. You can look at it from the perspective of what will bring greater adoption to VR. I mean, I think, I think a lot of what we're talking about are still quite niche, but incredibly important like the, the mental health aspect of it, I remember even with the DK1 days, the, the very first prototypes that were being like uh, handed out, um, there were mental health applications being um, devised to help with anxiety. Actually, ironically, one of them was sitting on stage <laughs> doing a talk, <laughs> which I actually tried, because I really hate talking in front of people, and I, I sat in that for ages to teach me to get over sitting in front of people on, on stage, and it actually worked really, really well. And there's so many niches out there that VR applies to so brilliantly. And education is one of them you mentioned. Yes, yeah. That's just absolutely perfect. Children they they learn of course by listening and but they remember by actually doing, yeah. right? Yeah. My children know all the planets in the solar system for one reason, it's because they've been there. They've flown around, they've landed right. on right. moons, they've looked around, they've you know seen the soil. That's much more memorable than opening a book and remembering, you know. So there's so many there's so many different areas and industries that it will touch on. I think it's really important that it does.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I know you mentioned AR earlier, the HoloLens. I mean, that's actually had large adoption in industry. There's over (coughs) 50,000 HoloLens units out there actually being used by large corporate companies, mainly for training. Uh, It's the idea you can send a technician to a remote site and they can actually upload plans into the headset and then actually repair a machine without having prior knowledge of it. So there's massive use cases for this technology as it comes to the mass market.
0: So we've just got a couple of minutes left. So the the last thing I'd like to ask you guys, so there are various people in the room right now, I'm sure some of which own some kind of VR device and some of which don't. And same goes for anyone listening afterwards. So for anyone in the room who maybe hasn't taken the dive into VR yet, what would you suggest be their starting point? Would you suggest maybe they wait for something in the future or jump in now with something like Oculus Go, PlayStation VR, go full on with a Rift or Vive? What would you say?
2: Um, that's a really good question because it comes back to the original point, which is it's almost impossible to sell VR because nobody will give you a demo yeah. free of charge. Yeah. You've got to go to an arcade to actually try out a Vive or a Rift to know which one actually suits your face, or you have a friend who's got one that you can go and say can have a go. Um, to be honest, I, I would recommend anybody that enjoys gaming, VR is an, uh, just a no-brainer, absolute no-brainer. Even if you only find one title or, or two titles, that are fantastic and you enjoy in VR, that's all you need. The fact there's a thousand others out there, doesn't matter. In reality, I love <laughs> VR and I play thousands of titles, but in reality, day to day, I play maybe three that I love and I keep going back to. But that's all you need, right? You can, you can justify it. That, that's so, it's such an incredible technology, you can justify it with one or two titles, amazing.
4: Yeah, I, c- I completely agree with that. Um, it takes like one situation or like one game you're playing and you'll look back on that situation or that whatever happened, and you'll just be like, Yeah, it was totally worth it, like 100%. Um, if you manage to get a chance to trial it, I'm um, sure. I, a while back, there was a list on Vibe's website of places you can go and try it. Um, there's always people in the community that will probably give it to you uh, a try or something. Um, if not, VR Arcades, go there and try them out. Um, don't really take mobile um, virtual reality as what it is right now. It's very weak in terms of uh, like the full power you can get today. Uh, also, PlayStation VR is very good, but also weak in comparison to the PC VR. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah if, if we're looking at experiences that currently exist, so uh, as we discussed earlier, so since uh, it's really, really difficult to uh, convey the experience of VR on a 2D screen. Uh, just, I think everybody should at least give it a go. In that sense, it is a no-brainer. Just give it a go um, and. We all know motion sickness is still a thing due to several reasons. Uh, so you might experience motion sickness, but at uh, hey, you'll at least have the experience, and you know you'll make a conscious decision whether VR is for you or not. And uh, Keanu mentioned community, and I honestly think that's uh, at yeah. the moment in this early adopter phase, that's it's a huge good. thing. Yeah, and uh, every single person I've met within the VR community, uh, they're the sweetest, like nicest people, and everybody is so happy to meet another person. Uh, who is equally as enthusiastic about VR, and I think everybody—it's a, a cult. Join <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's totally, it's totally a good cult.
1: <laughs> I would say the best way to actually try it out is to go to a good, competent arcade, or location-based. Go to an event, uh, promo where someone's actually running a proper system with a really good experience. Uh, something I've seen in London over the last sort of year, probably, is actually withdrawal of a lot of the free demos. You used to be able to demo the Vive at PC World on Court Road. They put hundreds of people through that, and they had a really high attach rate where people would try it, and they'd come back the next day and actually buy a graphics card and a headset because they were that blown away by it. And that was Space Pirate Trainer, Tilt Brush, and Job Simulator. Those were the three classics they put people through. Um, again, with the Rift, it's actually quite hard to demo at the moment. There's not that many people that are demoing it. So the best thing is find a good arcade go to an event if you see one popping up. I mean, in London, we've got Rain Dance next month um, and they're doing a whole VR weekend. I think they've still got tickets left and they've got about 30 different experiences you can try. BBC have just done an incredible virtual reality uh, experience of the Blitz and they've also done one uh, basically about World War One called No Letters to be Written. So there's a lot of stuff out there if you actually look around and it's done really well. So that would be a good, good way of doing it.
0: Um, yeah, and I would say also you would be thinking about budgets. So in that situation, if if you decide VR's for you and you've got the money, I would say go for the full PC setup. You know, Rift or Vive—that's personal preference. Um, but if you're on more of a budget and you already have a PlayStation Four, I think PSVR is a no-brainer at its current uh, $199 price. Pick that up, firewall with an Aim controller—you'll uh, <coughs> you'll have a great time. Um, Thank you very much everyone for coming today. There are a bunch of awesome VR games over on the show floor that you should go check out, uh, one of which is Skyfront VR. I recommend uh, going and checking out in the EGX Res area. Um, So if we could give all the panelists a round of applause, that would be great. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.